You know, some years ago, I was given a book to read. It was written by a prominent pastor who you might say was like the epitome of success. <clears throat> well, in many people's eyes. And I'd heard different people say that they really liked his sermons. And since that time, I've even had people completely separate from the church, people who had no claims to knowing Christ, and they really liked his sermons and, and his books. So I read the book, and in the book it told a story how he and his wife were traveling back home from some event, and as they were traveling, they saw this great, big, beautiful mansion house, and it said, open house. And his wife said, hey, well, let's go in and look, because they were thinking about buying a house at the time. And he said, there's no reason for us to go look at that house. We would never be able to afford a house like that. <clears throat> she goes, oh, come on. She goes, you don't know what's going to happen. So they stopped, and reluctantly he went in, and they were going around and they were seeing the house and the different things, the different features, the different things that were, were in the house. <clears throat> and he just kept thinking. He was kind of grumbling, thinking, well, he goes, I don't know what we're doing in here. It's just making me depressed because I know we'll never be able to live in something like this. But guess what? Eventually that pastor's wife encouraged and, and, and was able to convince her pastor husband to believe that God would give them a house like that. And so she convinced him to pray that God would give them that type of a house, mansion-type house, and eventually they got one. And he was ashamed, he said, that his wife knew more about trusting in God than he did. And the book went on to tell about how if your faith is strong enough, God will give you the desires of your heart. Because God is a God of love, and God loves his children and wants his children to ask him for things. And these things that he said we are supposed to ask for are, you know, it could be a thriving business, a very successful career, nice cars, humongous home, uh, great family, all because God loves his children, wants to make them happy, and wants his children to feel like they can ask him for things. You don't have because you don't ask. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you now, who doesn't like nice things, right? And who doesn't feel good when they can give their children nice things and dress them in nice clothes? And who doesn't enjoy living in a nice home, owning decent cars, being looked up to in your world of influence? You know, most of us <clears throat> would be pretty thrilled to receive nice things and to be highly thought of for our achievements. And wouldn't we call those things that we 
are thrilled about, wouldn't we call them blessings from God? Now, as you're listening to this, you might be thinking, okay, where's the tripwire in this? Well, what I want to say is, it's easy to like, like nice things, of course, and to excel in your work and be rewarded for that or looked up to for that, that's a nice thing. And we do know Christian people, very good Christian people who are very wealthy and they do good things with their money. And in the Bible, there have been all sorts of people, servants of God, that were very wealthy, extremely wealthy. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You have King David, King Solomon, and some of the other kings were extremely wealthy. So all of that to say that wealth isn't necessarily evil in and of itself, is it? But there is another side to this whole equation. And this other side can really set things straight in our minds on this whole matter of, you know, who is it that is truly blessed? And it can line things up in its proper order. So to just hear that one side that I gave in that story, it doesn't balance the whole thing out. And it's Jesus himself that gives us this other side. So we're going to be looking at Jesus explaining to his disciples what it means to be truly blessed by God. Who is the person that's truly blessed by God according to his kingdom values? And the difference is going to be you have your earthly values, earthly kingdom values, and heavenly kingdom values. But we're going to be in, in the book of Matthew, New Testament book of Matthew, in chapter 5. And I want to read you, first of all, and show you the setting. Verses 1 and 2. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Hey, Daniel, could you turn these, these lights on here? Yeah, thank you. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So, probably most of you know this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus goes and he sits down. He goes up on the mountainside because of the crowds. And there, you know, disciples come and the people are following him also. And when it says he sat down, that means he's getting ready to teach because that was just the common posture for teaching back in those days. But Jesus isn't speaking to them as an ordinary rabbi. Jesus is speaking to them as the Messiah King, speaking to his subjects regarding his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And you see, all of these people know what it's like to live under earthly kingdoms. He's going to teach them what it's like to live according to God's kingdom values. All of these people, they've lived under earthly rules and earthly kingdoms, they're part of the Roman Empire. 
They know that, you know, the emperor, Caesar, and what he demands. They've lived under governors. They've lived under, under Roman officials, you know, military, and even their Jewish religious leaders. They know all of that, what it means to live under human authority. And they're very familiar with those kingdom values and those laws and those requirements. But now Jesus is going to tell them what it's like to live under God's kingdom values. And it's going to be a little different from man's kingdom values. So, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is definitely a kingdom of heaven value. Jesus is the king, and he's telling them what is of value in his kingdom. And he says, it's those who are poor in spirit. Now, first of all, the word blessed means, you know, you kind of have uh, favor from God. Special favor from God, you're blessed. He enhances you. And here it says, it's the poor in spirit. Now, you know that has to be otherworldly because it certainly isn't something you get praised for in our earthly kingdoms, is it? Especially in our popular culture here. I mean, who gets praised for being poor in spirit or lowly in spirit? Can you think of any famous celebrities, actors, athletes, musicians who are praised for being lowly in spirit? You know, the people who receive accolades in our culture and many others are those who are actually rich in spirit, aren't they? Who see themselves as something very special. Who won't stand for anyone to put them down. Who make the headlines whenever they get a haircut. Who set the clothing trends just by walking outside their doors. And they are honored for thinking highly of themselves. People don't want them thinking lowly of themselves. So, who are the poor in spirit? Well, the poor in spirit practice humility. It's the person who isn't all about being noticed by others or fixated on receiving praise from others. It's the person who realizes that God is the one who is praised. He is perfection. He is holiness and magnificence. And you know, it's interesting, Jesus being the very Son of God, equal with God, he praised God. He praised the Father. He loved the Father. He was always lifting up the Father, even though they were equal. So Jesus showed us what it was like to praise, to to you know, give praise to the one who deserved it. And, you know, it's the person who is humble enough, we're talking about the lowly in spirit, it's the person who is humble enough to come to God as a sinner in need of salvation, who willingly turns to Christ for forgiveness and admits that it's only forgiveness 
that brings us righteousness. And it's only through faith because we can't do it ourselves. And the lowly in spirit are the people who place others' needs above their own. That's the poor in spirit. That's the person truly blessed by God. Now verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now that certainly is not an earthly kingdom value, is it? Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who are sad. Why would Jesus even say that? How could that even be a blessing? Well, he says there, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They are heading toward a future that will bring them great comfort. And a lot of times, because they're devoted to Christ, they receive suffering down here, but up there, you know, in the next life, it's total comfort. He's talking about those who choose to come to him, who choose to become a part of his kingdom. And many times that does mean suffering. That does mean going without. But those who come to Jesus, who choose Jesus, will eventually enter into this eternal comfort. You know, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If we choose to join Jesus' kingdom through repentance and humility and lowliness to go to Christ, we will experience an eternal future of tremendous comfort. And it will be a comfort or relief from all suffering, all sadness, all disappointment, all sickness, all loneliness, all fear and despair, all frustration, all insecurity, all guilt, all brokenness. And then, of course, in this, we think of our Christian brothers and sisters in places like China and North Korea and India and Eritrea and Iran. You could keep naming the countries where people are persecuted for the name of Christ. Believers sometimes spending years in in rank prisons, disgusting prison cells. Family members are separated from each other. Homes and churches are burnt down. Yet so many bravely persevere and they stay true to Christ, even having lost their, their spouses and maybe their children or their fathers. He says, they will find comfort and it will be a comfort out of this world. They are the truly blessed, but it's not by earthly standards. But then you might ask, well, but what kind of inheritance can someone expect who submits to God's kingdom? Well, the verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. What does that even mean? 
Now, you know, conventional wisdom would say the non-meek will inherit the earth because they will form mighty armies and they will go in and defeat people and overpower people and take their land and they will inherit the earth. They will take over countries like we've seen people do in our lifetimes. But, you know, Jesus is actually quoting from Psalm 37 here. And in that context, in Psalm 37, David is talking about, is, is encouraging Israel, talking about the promised land. I want to read a few verses from Psalm 37. David says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. So you see, they're in uh, poor circumstances, right? They're suffering. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's taking delight in the Lord that brings you the desires of our hearts, right? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. So he's saying, trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So Jesus is taking his point off of Psalm 37. And that tells us what it means to be meek. Meek means we trust in God, we wait for him to take care of things, and we don't rise up and do what's wrong in the meantime. And Jesus takes that psalm that talks about Israel and the promised land and he applies it to his followers and the coming kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, those who trust in God when things go bad, those who keep to their faith in God to make all things right, those who don't take the law into their own hands, because they think, well, I deserve this, or that was wrong, so I should punish this. It's those who plant their trust fully in Christ. They will inherit the earth. And you know what that will be? That will be the new earth. The recreated earth. And we will inherit the earth, we who are one with Christ. By meekness, he means to humbly wait on God, to work all things out according to his plan. Our hope is in God, and he will have victory over every evil. Our true, lasting hope is in the future, in the coming kingdom of God, and in the new heavens and the new earth. 
Now, I guess it's uh, time to, I could say this at this time in the morning, but I want you to think back to a time when you were very, very hungry. Now, some of you teens, you're probably saying now, this morning, an hour from now. But think back to a time when you were really, really hungry. Maybe it was for a certain type of food, certain kind of meal. And then now remember how good it felt to finally eat that lunch or eat that dinner. Well, look at this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will have that satisfaction. They are hungering and thirsting for right, things that are right. Isn't it aggravating when you see someone profit off of cheating? And maybe it's someone that everybody knows isn't doing things right, but there's nothing they can do about it. Isn't it aggravating when you see some powerful people taking advantage people that aren't that powerful or someone benefiting off of lying and you know they're lying or rulers mistreating their people when they live as kings or here are people those people that traffic young girls into prostitution and they make so much money off of it and they ruin people's lives or politicians lining their own pockets as they talk about how much they care for other people, for their people. Those are hard things to live with, hard thoughts to think through. Well, those sitting there listening to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, as he teaches them who are truly blessed, <clears throat> they are the ones who not only had to put up with the Romans ruling over them, which they didn't like at all, but even then, after that, you have these Jewish religious leaders who would lie and cheat and practice their fake holiness. And they would make it a big effort to show people how holy they were as they stopped in the street corners to pray for long times of prayer. While the average Jewish person was basically powerless and just had to endure it. Yet those who longed for, for and sought true righteousness... They came to Jesus. They're sitting on this mountainside. They're his disciples. And they come to him to find the truth in him because they know this is a lie and this is unrighteousness. And Jesus said, these will find fulfillment and reward for their faith. They would be the ones ending up being truly blessed. And in the end, they would be the ones most favored by God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for in the kingdom of God they will be filled. And something like that may lead us to help those who are hurting or to, you know, step up for those who are being cheated. That's that desire of a person who is following God. And then Jesus says, it's a, it's a kingdom of heaven value. Then Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, 
for they will be shown mercy. You know, to show mercy is to reach out to someone who is needy, who's hurting, maybe even helpless. Mercy is like for somebody who's in such bad trouble they can't help themselves, and so you, you, you kind of reach out and pity, in a sense. You know the story of the woman caught in adultery? <clears throat> the religious leaders dragged her to Jesus, and they said, this woman was caught in adultery, the very act. And what do you say about this? Because the, the law of Moses says that she should be punished by death. And we all know that they were trying to trap Jesus because, you know, why didn't they bring the man, first of all? But what they wanted to do, they were telling Jesus that if he was, they wanted him to face up to the Mosaic law saying this woman needed to be stoned. And if Jesus said, yes, she should be stoned, then they would get him for breaking the Romans, going against the Romans, because they weren't allowed to do that, take that into their own hands. And if he says, no, she, she doesn't, she shouldn't be stoned, then they'd say, well, you're not following the law of Moses. So, <clears throat> you know, Jesus chooses mercy in this very clever way. He says, okay, She's deserving of judgment. I'm just putting words into his mouth. <clears throat> so let's have whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Start the process. And it says, one by one, starting with the oldest there, they all walked away. And Jesus was down riding in the sand at the time. And he stands up. He gives him a chance to walk away. He stands up and he says, Woman, where are they? Has anyone condemned you? She says, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus chose mercy. But, you know, I thought in that instance, well, what about the law of Moses? Was Jesus not carrying out the law of Moses? It says that People caught in adultery should be stoned. Well, <clears throat> you know, there's different reasons why Jesus couldn't just stone her. But in John chapter 3, John tells us in, chap in his chapter 3 of his gospel that the Son of God came into the world not to condemn the world, but that God might save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in the Son of God stands condemned already. And so Jesus' mission when he came to the earth, during his time on this earth, was not to judge, not to condemn, but to save, to give a chance for everyone to be saved through him. When he returns, he's coming to judge. And it's going to be horrific. It's going to be total but he chose mercy what does mercy look like in our day I ran across this example that I thought was extra good it's this lady telling a story of when she was a child 
She says, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen, fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade that we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we would have a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper to me, I wish you were my little girl. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Those who show mercy are the truly blessed. And then in verse 8, <clears throat> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart are those who have had a heart cleansing. The impurities have been removed. You know, purity is when something is solid. Solid one, one element. Solid gold, solid silver, pure gold, pure silver. The pure in heart have turned away from their sin. They check their motives and denounce any selfishness or pride or arrogance or hatred and own up to it, own up to their sin and turn away from it. Jesus called the Jewish religious leaders hypocrites for saying one thing and then doing the opposite. For acting holy in front of the people even though their hearts were full of hatred. For claiming love for God while secretly plotting to kill his son. The truly blessed are the ones who examine their motives and follow up with the proper action or attitude. The truly blessed are those who face up to their sin, turn to Christ for forgiveness, come to him in repentance, and follow him. The truly blessed are those who are honest with themselves and admit their need for a savior. Blessed are the pure in heart. <clears throat> and then he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they would be called children of God. You know, these kingdom of heaven values can be so opposite values from earthly values, can't they? You know, in earthly values, we honor those who conquer and show themselves to be the most powerful who place their feet on the necks of their opponents and dis display their superiority. 
But you know, in the letter to the Ephesians, <clears throat> Paul speaks of God revealing his immense wisdom, his multi-layered wisdom, by bringing the two greatest enemies of each other together into one body, when he brought Jews and Gentiles together to make the church. And anybody, and it's, it's through the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. So through his offering his son, he found a way, or he had a way, of bringing the two greatest enemies of each other into one where they love each other. And so, <clears throat> God is the ultimate peacemaker. In Romans, Paul says that as much as it depends upon us, live at peace with all people. And James says, the wisdom that comes from above is pure and peace-loving. So it's the peacemakers that are truly blessed by God. And that's why they're called the children of God, because God is the ultimate peacemaker. <clears throat> so in all of these so-called blessings that Jesus mentions, it often seems the opposite of what we may think of as someone being blessed or favored by God. And it was the opposite of what even the disciples thought. They thought, well, if the rich can't get into heaven, who can? And these seem to run completely counter at times to the things we humans chase after or try to find our reward in. They weren't Roman values of that time, and Rome was the major power. They weren't the Jewish religious leaders' values. But they were the values of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus came to teach those values. So what about the prominent pastor who prayed for a beautiful mansion-like home? And he encouraged his people to trust God for the riches of this world. Well, it seems to me his focus is sort of misplaced. He doesn't, it seems to me he doesn't really know or hasn't really maybe thought about, considered who Jesus considers to be the ones that are truly blessed. And again, you know, it's not that a Christian should never own anything nice or expensive. We live in a very prosperous nation. You know, many say it's the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And early in my Christian days, we were, Laura and I were going to a church where the pastor and wife came off the mission field after I don't know how many years from Sudan. And they said when they got over to the United States and they were in this, they had now become pastor of this church in kind of a wealthy part of the Kansas City area. And he said when they came over here, they saw how much the Sudanese didn't have and they saw how much, you know, this community did have. And he said, you know, we can't just go in there and just start berating them for their materialism or <clears throat> pitying them for, you, you know, you poor people of immense wealth. 
Do you know what your Sudanese brothers and sisters have to live with? He said they were two completely different situations, and you couldn't just judge them against each other. So he had to speak to them in their own context. So I believe we certainly have to be careful about greed and materialism, and it's more of a danger for us who live in a prosperous you know, society. We have to be careful about where we place our values and our hopes and our dreams. And we also have to be responsible to be generous. For to whom much is given, much is required. And we must keep in mind what it is to be truly blessed by God. Because we're going to go over these last three verses, and this may kind of shock us into <clears throat> knowing what Jesus values. He says... Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is really the capstone of Jesus' teaching here on who is truly blessed. The ultimate blessing is to give all for Christ. And really, true blessing comes, we can put it to this, because, <clears throat> excuse me, like I say, we live in this prosperous country where we have a lot of freedom at the time, at this time. Other people live where they're in, in danger of going to jail at any minute. But really, no matter where we're at, the ultimate blessing is to become one with Jesus Christ. Because he is eternal life. He is one with God the Father. He is the essence of truth and life and goodness <clears throat> excuse me, and freedom and joy. For us who live in a prosperous society and those who live in dirt poor societies, it's Jesus Christ. And to be one with him is to be the most blessed a person can possibly be. But like we saw, it often entails waiting and enduring. If we have to choose between which blessings we will receive, we want the eternal blessings in the next life, don't we? So no matter where it leads us, to relative wealth or abject poverty, God is has had servants in both places, right? Whether it leads us to people loving us or people hating us. Some Christians live all their lives in, in relative wealth or relative safety to the freedoms we enjoy now or to all of them being taken away. We have to place all of our hopes in Christ and in the future kingdom of God. And if we do that, and we make decisions based upon that, that Christ is the one leading us, that we're doing it for him, then we will be the most blessed of all people. And if we look to those who have less, and we help them, that's having mercy. 
that's a good thing for us. And then we will be in the camp who will experience eternal comfort, joy, and fulfillment in Christ forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truths that you help us to face up to. And we pray that we would have wisdom to know and live and absorb your word into our lives. And that we may be faithful to you in the situations you've put us in. And then, Lord, that we could see many people come to know you as their Savior and join into the kingdom of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.